I thought I knew what I was talking about, didn't I? It's just a little bit. There we go. Hello, Frank Hodge. Butch, some nice fish you caught yesterday. You caught a bunch of striper and catfish. Went, went to the lake with his family. So, hey, Mary. Hi, Robert. Good to see you guys with us. Okay, we're going to start. So I appreciate all of you being here today and the ones who are going to come later on and watch it on Facebook and also on YouTube. Um, we're teaching our series on the spiritual code and symbology of the living word. And a few weeks ago, I decided to start going through some of the uh, parables and explaining them uh, spiritually. You know, I'm, I'm fully aware we all have different levels of understanding. We all walk in different light, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are people that have lesser light than we have, and there's people that have more light than we have. And I'm, I am, I would never say that I know all there is yet. I do know, but I'm not tapped into my knower fully. But uh, my knower, my knower to me is my mind, uh, divine mind. Me oh, the fan, let me turn it off? Okay, just a second. Sorry. Don't want to get too cold. So today I'm going to talk about uh, the Samaritan. You know, a lot of people call it the parable of the good Samaritan, but it doesn't use the word good. It uses the word compassionate, which is better in my opinion, because we don't dwell in the realm of, uh, realm of good, bad, sick, well, you know, whatever. And I've had people ask me this many times, well, how could you say there's, there's no bad when we see all kinds of bad stuff happen in the world? Well, when we say this, we're talking about the person who they really are. Even you, the, the goodness of the Lord is in all people, and there is no other than that goodness. And so when I say I'm trying to teach myself not to see a person any way but how I see Father sees them, I'm not saying they don't do things that doesn't represent that. But I'm still not going to judge them, call them a bad person because they did something that we call bad. And that's, that's how we explain that. They just do, they don't know who they are. They're living out of their mistaken identity. We've all done that in one way or area, one way or another in our entire life. So, uh, so this parable is in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37 that I'll be reading here in a little bit. And then I'm going to uh, do my best to explain it in a really clear way that you can understand it. Hi, Cecil. Hello, Melanie. Good to see you at Bedside Assembly today. <laughs> so Jesus, prior to using this parable to explain these spiritual truths that he was trying to explain, uh, there was a lawyer of the Mosaic law that was with the crowd around him. And he was trying to trick Jesus to say something that he could use against him. And that's pretty much what all the religious people did in his day. And so he asked Jesus what he should do to inherit eternal life. And that's what it said is to inherit. He didn't say to gain it like the King James would say. And so Jesus said to him, in the Mosaic law, what is written? You know, because he's a lawyer of the law, he should know. So he said, what are you, uh, what are you aware of then? Uh, and that's what, I, that's what I try to do when uh, people ask me questions today. I want to know why they're asking that question. And before I give them my answer, I want to know what do you believe? And then I like to say, and I need to practice it more, is that working for you? And if it is, then you don't need to know what I believe because it's not going to help you whatsoever. So the lawyer answered, and he said, we should love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our individual awareness, and with all our breath. I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of it. With all our ability and with all of our deep thoughts and our fellow neighbors as ourselves." And Jesus replied, you answered right. This do and you shall live. And what it, what it means by live, it means you shall experience living because most people were living as dead. You know, we used to talk about People who are in Christ are alive to, to the awareness of Jesus and everything, and people who are dead to Christ are dead to that. But now we know that it's contact. So if you're not in contact with your life source, then what are you doing? You're living as dead, right? And so uh, the lawyer continued to try to justify himself to experience eternal life. And he said to Jesus, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered him with this compassionate 
Samaritan's parable, which we're going to go through. The Samaritans, uh, it's a good idea to know who, who they represented. Samaritans uh, signify mixed thoughts, of, uh, partly worldly and partly religious thoughts. They were a mixture of Assyrians and Hebrews, and they claimed to be direct descendants of Abraham and taught the books of Moses, but they were not recognized by the Jews as followers of the Jewish religion. So Samaria represents a, a state of consciousness in which truth and error are mixed. And what happens when you mix truth with error? Right. We know that word leaven, it leavens the whole lump, right? In the book of Revelation, where it's talking about travailing people in birth of who they are with the, with the word of God, it says without mixture. So even though they had some truth, they had mixture there. So the first question we need to ask is, who is our neighbor? And I want you to really think about that because I'm going to talk about it more and more as we go through. Who is our neighbor? And so, and Jesus answered, said, a certain man went down. I'll read the whole parable here. Jesus, and Luke 10, 30-37. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I always was amazed when I saw that, that a priest would do that. But they do. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Do you remember anybody else in the Bible that always said he had compassion before he did anything? Jesus. It was Jesus. Every time it said, and he had compassion, and he had compassion, and he had compassion. And so, and he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, the next morning, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto them, take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more when I come again, I will repay you. Which now of these three do you think was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He's asking this lawyer. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do likewise. You know, so right there, without us even interpreting this, this, this parable, is a real good principle. If you want to experience life, Go and do likewise. Be compassionate on all people and bless yes. people. And how many times have we said this? Yeah. And it, there's nothing like giving. And it doesn't mean just money. <laughs> giving up your time. Give your talent. Not to God. God doesn't need it. But give to people. Your time, your talent, your treasure. The one thing that people today are really selfish with is their time. They, they, I just don't have time. Or... You know, I, it's, just, it's just not my nature to do this, so I don't, I don't want to do this. And they don't want to go forth and really bless people today, and they're, and they're really tough. You know, Don and I both saw a post on Facebook today about what is the one thing that you would like to give somebody a ticket for when you're driving that's illegal. And one of them I said was honking at me when the light turns green because people are just in a hurry. Do you experience that, or do you fly through real quick? <laughs> do you go through fast? But, I mean, they won't give you more than two seconds before that horn's going. I mean, they, they think that they don't have time and they've got to hurry up and get somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's really crazy. Mm -hmm. And so the road to Jericho from Jerusalem, I, I was looking it up, and it was a very steep, treacherous path. And even more dangerous that there were, there were robbers there laying in wait for the travelers. And most people that went down that road, unless they had a lot of guards around them, a lot of people, they were robbed. And some of them were killed. And this was the setting of where Jesus was telling uh, several parables in this particular chapter here, including uh, the parable of, of the compassionate Samaritan. So on the road from Jericho, uh, it represents the external consciousness or the, or the realm of exhibited thought. And up to Jerusalem is our spiritual consciousness. So you're on this journey where you're living mainly out of your individual awareness, if you would, and it's exhibited as how you do things, how you talk, how you think, and, and all that. But then you're on the way to Jerusalem, which represents spiritual consciousness. 
And yes, there are dangerous places when we pass that. And those dangerous places are error thoughts, if you would. Just like the Samaritans, they, they, followed, uh, they followed the law, if you would, because that's what they had at that time. But then they also were in error in other places. And so the thieves and the robbers that we have to meet are, are, are thoughts of error that would turn us aside from the living word, from the living word, and would dissipate the life substance that we really have of our true being. Does that make sense to you? And so like today, there's, there, it never fails when something happens in Israel, the rapture preachers come out. And uh, I was watching uh, uh, Newsmax this morning for just a little bit. I usually spend about 10 minutes. I don't watch news near as much as I used to just to see the headlines. But there was a minister on preaching in a packed full church. And all he was doing is telling that there are many, many scriptures in the Bible that prove Jesus is coming back any minute. And because of what Israel's doing and blah, blah, blah. And you better be ready because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You know, so that's error. That's error. I told Donna, I said, I, I repent of ever raising my children in a setting that told them if they didn't please God that they were going to burn in hell forever. It was, it was abuse. It's really what it was. And it's still going on today. So these thieves and robbers that we have met, they really have brought error into our life. And it's hard to say they're thieves and robbers, but they are. If somebody's teaching the lie, then they're raw, and you're you're following them, and you're believing it. Then you're being robbed of your real life, what you can really have. Even to where it's uh, even to where if we can get twenty five thousand people to pray, maybe God will heal us, or maybe God will do something. That's a lie. That's not true. Amen. So, the thief, which would be the Mosaic Law and its loathsome fruit. That's what I've added to that because it was a loathsome fruit. Remember, the Bible says, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifest to destroy him, which represents the Mosaic law that had the power of death. And then one of them says, the fruit, destroy the fruit thereof. So the fruit of believing the law and following the law is what? The Bible says it's death. It's no relationship with Father. And so there, any fruit that you do bear, it's not good fruit. And so it, it cometh not, but that it may steal and kill and destroy, which means make void and and bring to naught your life. So Jesus said, I came not to bring it, as the King James says, but I came that they may experience and handle that life and experience it abundantly. I still say we're not experiencing it abundantly. Some of us are beginning to experience it more and more and more, but to the point where it affects even the outward body, you know, and so, and that's in John 10, 10, just in case some people don't know, but that's a very famous verse. But the greatest robber with which the race of man has to deal with is the lie of religiosity. Yes. That's the greatest robber. The religiosity is what formed the mistaken identity, that belief system. And it's many laws of doing to be. That's a robber. So this turns millions aside from really truly being able to seek the life source within because we're always seeking a life source without, Right? Father is everywhere, but if I'm seeking Father without, then I'm denying that Father is in me, right? If I have to look up to praise God, then I'm saying God's up there somewhere and God's not in me. And if I have to bow down in my prayer in a sense that, you know, out of, out of, out of fear or even that Father is greater than me, then I really, it's a thief to me because it, it, it the Bible says, let us boldly enter into being the throne room of God. Not enter into it, but being the throne room of God, where Father, our source, our life really dwells within us. So this leads people to the grave, in a sense, and away from eternal life. Uh, there's a verse that talks about where Jesus was explaining life eternal. Well, it's, it, when you look it up in the Greek, it's eternal life. It's always just eternal life. And people were always wanting to know what eternal life was. And he always said, eternal life is knowing Father and understanding, and this is really what it means, understanding what Jesus taught. If you know Father and you have an understanding, a real understanding, not just a carnal understanding, not just a religion understanding, but the truthful living word, then you will experience eternal life. And we're, as I say, we're experiencing it more and more and more. 
but I personally believe it's going to take a many-membered person to do it, not just one man. If it would have just took one man, then Jesus, people would have followed Jesus because Jesus was living out of his eternal life. And at the end, Paul was living out of his eternal life, but it still didn't cause people. So it's not me. It's me pointing you to the Father and pointing you to who you are and what you have. And then you, you have to see it, and then you believe it. If you don't see it, you're not going to believe it. No, believe it and see it. Always get them backwards. In the kingdom of God, it's believe it, and then you'll see it. So <clears throat> the... Uh, what we have to do is we have to let go of this carnal consciousness and embrace this. Our individual awareness has to embrace this consciousness of Zoe life. And that's what it is, Z-O-E in the Greek. And the pure, un unadulterated contact with our Father alone is really what produces us experiencing Zoe life. Because Father God is what? Zoe, right? Father, Zoe has no sickness, no disease, no lack whatsoever. So for me to experience that life, then I have to stay in contact with them. And I always say the same thing about Ann and Carl, and I hope they feel that with us. The reason we know their life, we've shared their life, is because we've stayed in contact, right? There are some people that I consider friends, but I may not hear from them or see them for a year or so, so I'm not sharing their life. One day I'll look up on Facebook, and there they are, and I say, Oh my God, their kids are adults now. Oh my God, they've got five grandchildren. Oh, look where they've been and all that, you know, because I wasn't in contact with them. And so the reason we didn't know these truths as we were growing up is we really didn't know that we could stay in contact with Father, that we even had the divine mind. Divine mind. And so, you know, the Bible after all said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, when it really says be, be transformed by the renewing mind. And so we say, stay in contact there. So <clears throat> Jesus said then, when he said the truth will make you free, he was saying the not concealed word. The word truth was really the not concealed word. And the word has been concealed very much. So this steep path on the road to Jericho uh, symbolizes the place in our individual awareness where the error thought is most likely to enter, and it's called a dumin, A-D-U-M-M-I-M. And this was that the area where that path was that Jesus was, was going to Jericho. So if the error thoughts are properly dealt with, then we can rise up higher. And so how do we deal with error thoughts? We don't bind them, we don't rebuke them, we feed on the truth, and the truth reveals the error. I, we can anybody that's followed me for many year, many years at all have seen we've had a lot of belief systems that we thought were true when we heard the truth it dealt with that error and we no longer walk in that error anymore right we don't pray and ask father to do anything for us when we're with people that believe that way we'll do it but for our own selves we don't ask father to do everything anything because we know that we already have it all already so if the error thoughts are properly dealt with in this rising higher, we ascend higher, in other words, to Jerusalem. You know, Jer he, what Jesus did is he left Jer Jericho, I mean Jerusalem, heading to Jericho to help, in a sense, people rise up higher with this parable that he's shown us. So those who do not ascend, or if you would, fall into the hands of the robbers. And who are the robbers? It's the teachers of religiosity. That's a hard thing to say, but it's the truth. It's the teachers of the knowledge of good and bad. And what happens then, that inf it will infest our conscious awareness. It will infest our thinking process. It's, uh, it's like it's been there all your life and you're used to it. For example, a hoarder, a person is mentally ill and they're hoarders. You can go clean their house out. You can make it look beautiful. You can even move them to another place and make it look beautiful and put pretty pictures and everything. But if you haven't dealt with the error up here, then it's just going to digress right back to that. And that's why the Bible says it's impossible to renew a person to come back once they've tasted the goodness of the Lord. If the error is still up there, that I have to have the signs and the wonders and the shouting and the crying and slain in the spirit and all the stuff I used to have, then when you go back, it grabs hold of you because that's the stronghold that you haven't dealt with. And so this place, Adunum, it becomes a red place. 
a red place. And when I looked up the word adumen, it says red spots, place of the red ones, place of blood, red places. And then it's interesting that the root word is Adam. And what was Adam? Mm -hmm. Ruddy, red, right? And I was thinking about red. Red usually always represents blood, right? Mm -hmm. And is there not life in the blood? So there's several places in the Bible where it talks about the the woman with the issue of blood, Mm -hmm. right? So if she had an issue of blood, what does it mean? She had not conceived, right? She had not conceived a child because if you conceive a child, you do not have a cycle. And then it talks about filthy works of righteousness and it calls them filthy rags. So a menstrual cloth, the blood on a menstrual cloth is proof that the woman has not received the seed. So this is a real, really good picture here of that, that he was going to a place, if you would, in our conscious awareness where we have not received the seed of life. And that's what we're doing now. And so when I look this up again, uh, the name of the first race of man is also, uh, Aduman is in a place called Palestine. Palestine, which means dust dwellers. And Palestine is mentioned only one time in the Bible, and that's in Joel, I believe it's chapter 4, I didn't write it down. But biblical history states that Palestine was in Syria, not Israel. Isn't that interesting with what's been going on for a long time? It was in Syria. So that was not their property from hundreds or thousands of years or whatever. So who's the leading character in this story? Is it the guy that was hurt and beat up? It's the Samaritan. The whole the leading character is the Samaritan. The compassionate. And huh? I said the compassionate. The compassionate one. And he's referred to in 10, uh, 1033. And when you look it up, the name Samaritan, it said kind-heartedness, helpfulness, and generosity. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. He typifies the traits that make us a living, spiritual, uplifting power. If you would, the, the 12 divine faculties that I taught a few months ago, they're all functioning in this man, right? It's not that he was good, like he did good things. He was a compassionate man, and it was his nature, it was his character to do such a thing. I mean, how many people drive down the road today, and they see somebody on the side of the road that would actually go pay for their care and everything? They'll, yeah, we'll call 911. You know, but we're scared to death to help them because we're scared we're going to get sued or something. Mm-hmm. But I've seen this happen with animals. I've seen people pick up an animal that was hit and take them to a, to a, a veterinarian. And so I'm not saying there aren't people that way, but not enough. And so these activities of these spiritual qualities are the stepping stones that lead to greater demonstration on a day-to-day life. When you begin to allow your 12 divine faculties to function. And if you hadn't heard them, you can go on my YouTube channel, uh, Dr. Roy E. Richmond, and you can find these teachings on there, and they're very important. But if you allow these to begin to function, they become stepping stones. It doesn't happen all at once. You know, one of them is love. That's the number one one. That's the number, that's the only uh, fruit of our holy breath, of our spirit, is love. And so once you let love function, then the other ones really begin to function. And then they allow this supernatural quality to function on a day-to-day basis, not just every once in a while. We've all given testimony of how we've need, been able to do something really cool for somebody. But what if we just do something cool for everybody that we see? What if we just bless everybody that we see? And I try to do that with words. I try to do that with money. I listen to the voice of my father when he tells me to say something or do something. I'll do it. Some, I would say 99.9% of the people receive it. Everyone, there's once in a while, there's one that doesn't want you to say anything nice to them, and then you just let them go on down their path. So, uh, mankind's individual consciousness may be lifted up at that time, or will be, and it will be merged with a divine mind. It's one thing to know that I have a divine mind, which is Father's mind, but it's another thing to be merged with it. It's one thing to know that I have a hard drive in there that's two terabytes. That's a whole lot of memory. 
but just to look at it and say, look what I have. I have this powerful hard drive and it's, it's so powerful, but I never merge it with my computer. I never connect it. It does nothing for me whatsoever. And so that's why the Bible talks about people that are dead in contact with Father, where it says Christ, it means contact. Most of my life, I lived dead to me knowing that I was really in contact with Father because I was always praying to a Father out there somewhere. So then he said, go and do thou likewise to that lawyer. That's important for us to understand this. Jesus was saying to all who wish to triumph over this great lie of religiosity and to all who wish to enjoy this spiritual law of holy breath, how it can function in our life that was in Jesus, it will make you free from the carnal, if you would, the carnal uh, law of sin and death. And we're not under a law of sin and death. We're under the law of spirit and life, right? The same spirit and life that was in, in Jesus, the one that stayed in contact. Yes. But if we don't know it, what good is it for us? I want to read Romans 8 to you I, from my translation. <clears throat> it says, uh, now, the, uh, it starts in verse 2, but if you read it in your Bible, it won't match up. So just listen if you would. Now the intensified prescription of living out of our holy breath for life, just as Jesus lived, has delivered us from the prescription of the Mosaic law. And that's what the word law means is prescription. We are free from the drudgery of offering dead animals, bloody sacrifices, seeds, fruits, gold, silver, even tithing offering to Father for appeasement. The law of Moses was a carnal, impotent, impossible prescription. It could not ever accomplish the goal it had had since it had no life and was not from Father. It was sickly and without strength because of the ineffectual dead animal bloody sacrifices. But on the contrary, one Father embodied as Jesus and us in and through Jesus' incarnational events revealed what the law could never do. First, he revealed his and Father's eternal love for all humanity. And then he condemned and repealed the Mosaic prescription of the continual offering of animal sacrifices, which people wrongly did for the purpose of appeasing Father. Jesus drew all the consequences of taking the many prescriptions of dead works into himself. In his act of allowing himself to be murdered by the religious leaders and those in political power, all the false power of it died. So that's important for us to know. Yeah. Because until we know that, then we're, we're not going to believe that we're one with Father. We're not going to believe that we are already pure, perfect, and holy. And that Father needs no appeasement from us. And we will continue in those dead works. And when you continue in those works, what do you do? You can't be a compassionate person towards others because you will judge them as you feel like you're judged. Yes. Yes. I mean, I've said this many times. When a minister is always condemning people... I guarantee you that minister feels condemned himself. And how in the world can he tell you you're perfect if he doesn't feel he's perfect, right? So he doesn't know who he is or she. So two principal lessons are set forth in this parable of, of the uh, compassionate Samaritan. One is that we keep the law experiencing our eternal life by loving Father and staying in contact because that is a law. Just like over there, uh, there's an electric plug behind Donna, and there's a lamp there. There is a law that if I plug that lamp in, that light's going to come on, right? That is a, uh, I don't know what kind of law you would call it, an engineering law or something, a science law, I guess. But if you plug electricity into a lamp, the light's going to come in. That's so simple to understand. So if we, if we plug our conscious awareness in by contacting Father and staying in contact with Father, the light will flow. Yes. And you think you don't understand stuff. I'm telling you, understanding will come like a freight train. And the more I learned this, and the more my studies became easier and easier, and the light shined on it, and I said, oh, that's what that means. Oh, this is what this means. And it has become easy. Now, no, I haven't translated the entire Bible. and People keep sending me scriptures. Have you? No, I haven't done it. <laughs> you know, And I don't have time to translate all those scriptures for you. I do a few of them. But I, I know that... Whatever I'm instructed to study, I'm going to understand it. Yes. Going, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm going to understand it. So, so that's, that's one principle that we need to really understand. That is, it is a law. If you want life, get in contact with Father. Yes. 
Quit going to everybody else in the world to, to solve your problems. You know, and I'm not saying don't go to preachers and teachers or whatever, but if you do, find, find ones that are, are climbing up higher. Ones that aren't, are not stuck somewhere. And I, I know some people don't like to hear it, but it's the truth. You people are stuck in, and just teaching crucified, died, and buried. People are stuck in just teaching a, a rapture and a devil and all that. But but you don't need to feed from those. There's plenty of people out there today that are teaching tremendous truth. So that's the law. Without that, you're not going to experience life. You'll have life, but you're not going to experience life. And then uh, another one is we want to always express love for our neighbor. Express love for our neighbor. But we find here the symbology of a man's neighbor is not necessarily the people that lives next door to me. More importantly, it's the nearest and most intimate, embodied spiritual thought that you have. That's your neighbor that you need to take care of, is your thoughts. Isn't that weird sounding? <laughs> take care of yourself first. And that doesn't mean... Make sure I've got enough finances. That doesn't mean make sure I've got a nice home or all those other things. What it means is take care of your thoughts. Make sure your thoughts are in line with Father God's thoughts. And the first thing I thought of when I did that, wrote that down is I remembered the airplane example. When you get on an airplane and the plane's getting ready to take off and after they tell you about your seatbelt, what do they tell you about, tell you about next? That's right. If the oxygen mask drops down, put your own on before you try to help somebody else. So what's happened is we haven't dealt with our thoughts, our error thoughts. Therefore, we go try to help people and we, we're helpless. We can't help them. And I'm not trying, I'm not saying stop sinning and stop this and stop. I'm just talking about deal with your thoughts. Lay your, your head, your conscious awareness on the chopping, chopping block of the living word and allow Father to reveal to you your wrong thinking. And the number one is your mistaken identity. Yes. Number two is your wrong perception of Father. They probably both are number one. Both of those are really big problems for us. And so love your spiritual thoughts and cast down all vain thoughts. How I know that's true? Paul said if there's anything worth thinking on, think on these things. So is that something that Father's supposed to do for the, us or is that something we're supposed to do? We're supposed to recognize what we're thinking on and what we're thinking on is not good things sometimes. You know, I made a mistake yesterday and I'm not going to take it anymore, but I, I, I've been coughing a lot, sneezing a lot. So Donna has a, uh, a allergy pill. It's called Singular and I have a prescription for it too. But one of the biggest side effects to it is nightmares, horrible nightmares. And that's why my doctor told me before, if you take it, take it in the morning, if that's affecting you. And if, if you're taking that and you have nightmares, that's why. Well, last night I took one. I wasn't thinking about it, but I forgot to take one. So I took one about nine o'clock. And I'm telling you, I had wretched, horrible, scary nightmares last night. But then when I woke up, I was telling Dawn about it, but I was telling her things that I had seen during the day, things that I had thought about and, and watched. And those things came into my mind, and then that drug put it together as a vivid, scary movie. It woke me up at 3 o'clock this morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. But to me, that's a picture of that. If there's anything worth thinking on, there, there are so many things out here that come against us that we think on that are not edifying to us. Yeah. And, you know, the news, the, just all kinds of stuff. And so we need to love our spiritual thoughts, Embrace those, think on those things, meditate on those things, chew the cud on those things until those thoughts literally overwhelm the error thoughts. And I'm not saying bad, I'm saying error. They're just wrong thoughts. And then as Paul said, cast down vain thoughts or imaginations. How do you do that? You think on these things. You think on the truth. I'm no good. Well, the truth said, the word of God says, I'm, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm perfect, I'm beautiful. And meditate on that and let the I'm no good be destroyed. Correct? Mm -hmm. And we could do that. So the man who was stripped and beaten and left half dead symbolizes uh, the physical body that is wrongly in a, the similar condition because we were stripped of who we are. Mm -hmm. 
we were in a sense beaten down, right? Have you ever been and heard a sermon that just beats you under the altar? We were abused, if you would, and we were left half dead. And we just walked out of that place and thought, man, preacher read my mail today. You know, I felt really bad. The service was wonderful today because many people almost feel like if you don't go to church and feel bad, you didn't have a good service. Yeah. Particularly if it's somebody that doesn't fit their mold for what they think to be a Christian, right? right? Yeah. So the robbers are our lawless, carnal, and religious thoughts that rob our body of its energy and its substance. What, what, what does a doctor ask you if you go to a doctor and you tell them I'm run down and I'm tired and I'm wore out all the time? Don't they kind of go through, are you eating good? What do you eat? Are you getting your fruit every day? Are you getting your vegetables every day? You know, you know let's, let's check your iron level. Let's check your sodium. Those all have to do with how much you've been eating, right? You know, so... When we come to church, many times we've told people those things and they want to bind things out of us to tell us we need to pray more and you need to read your Bible more and, you know, the list can go on and on. And I'm not against the churches, I promise you. I have a few men that are upset with me for using the word religiosity, but I am against relig religiosity. Religiosity is anything that has rules that you have to do something to become perfect and holy. And that's not our father. So we, we don't want our bodies robbed of its energy and its substance. The, the, the priests and the Levites represents the ignorance and the indifference to truth that are found in both formal religion and any due-to-be laws. That's who they represent, the priests and the Levites. I grew up being taught by some of those types of people. And they all sought to control me and those that followed them. And literally, they read me, led us down this treacherous path from Jerusalem to Jericho. To me, Jerusalem, well, not to me, it is. Jerusalem represents the high place of awareness and heading to Jericho, Jesus was going to a place to help people, to bring him out of that situation. And so what did they do? They stole from me what was mine. They stole my spiritual awareness. They, they stole my spiritual destiny, if you would. They held me down. Mm -hmm. I was told that you, I've never seen you as a minister. You just, you, you just need to stay in cells. And, you know, what qualifies you to be a minister? I was told those things. And that was by priests and Levites, if you would. That was by ministers yes. that held me down. But fortunately, I was wise enough to say, you're not the one that called me. Father did. So then the Good Samaritan symbolizes one who does what? Stays in contact with the divine mind. The one that has allowed the the uh, divine, 12 divine faculties to function in them consistently and perfectly. And the hope of showing forth the glory comes from that. You know, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that would be contact with Father, the hope of glory. If you want to show forth your glory, which is what? The word glory is doxa. It means the full weight of our Father, our Creator. If you want to show forth, then, then again, you need to stay in contact. If I want to be seen as living the, same life that Ann and Carl do, then I'm going to stay in contact with them. Now, there was a time that we, Don and I went on a cruise and we did some vacations, but Ann and Carl are vacation nuts. They love vacations. <laughs> Been on, but when we met them and we, 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 we came into intimate union with them as friends, we've been on lots of vacations, haven't we? A whole lot because of our contact. And other people have too. So, <clears throat> but... So what happens is uh, the Samaritan, he symbolizes standing in contact with God, but then there's a group of people. It's a really odd <coughs> word. You can write it down and I'll pronounce it the best I can. It's S-A-C-E-R-D. That's like sacred. O-T-A-L-I-S-M. And it's pronounced Caesar Dadialism. And what is that? It's the, it's the belief and the power of the priest to be the mediator between man and father. That's what it is. And many, many a minister, not just the Catholic Church, but many, many a minister believe that about themselves, that they have been empowered with this ability to mediate between God and man. 
and they know what God has to say and you don't, and you have to follow them. And you know what they do? Maybe unconsciously, but they disdain the teaching and the fact that Father is in all people. They disdain the teaching that tells people that all people have access to divine mind. Because when that gets out, then they lose control. Yeah. And I was so proud, and I, I hope you remember, Donna, but once, one time I was watching a minister that was been interviewed on Fox News, and he was a Catholic priest. And he said, one thing that I teach all my people is they have direct contact with Father. I mean, I just, I just yelled. That's awesome. You know, and I believe Father is opening ministry up to that all over the world. You know, so what does the beast mean? When I looked up the word beast, it means property. Property. Hmm. Now, naturally, it would be the guy's horse probably or his donkey or whatever. Because it says he put him on his beast. But it's our divine, natural substance of our entire being. We give our entire being to people who are still in a need mindset, if you would. Jesus gave his entire being, did he not? He gave his entire substance to everyone who would come. So the oil then is the love of our Father that we have eternal contact, or I like to say current. It's a current of life. That's what that represents, the oil that flows through us. That's the contact with Father. And then the wine is uh, life, the life and joy that comes from drawing from the oil within your soul. You draw it out where all people can see it. So a person that's in contact with Father and allowing the divine life, the current to flow, are they going to walk around looking depressed all the time? No, there's going to be a joy over them. The joy of the Lord is their strength. The joy of the Lord is what drives them and moves them, and they live and move and have their being joyfully. Uh, I remember when Brother Garner taught us some penal substitution, I mean, uh, yeah, penal substitution teaching on six steps of the throne. One thing that impressed me a lot was the table showbread and the priests were feeding on that in the tabernacle of Moses in the holy place. And it had those 12 stacks of bread, six on each side, which, which represented today what Jesus was trying to show us and our understanding of that. Not so much involvement, but our understanding. But there was a, there was a cup of wine in between there. And what I always saw that that cup of wine represented once they, once John received that revelation, then he drank the cup of joy and it brought great joy to him. And when the joy came upon him, he was able to hear with a single ear and see with a single eye. And he heard a voice behind him and he turned and he saw God in all people, saw Father God in all people, which is said Christ in the, in the church, but it's Father God in all people. And so that's what we have that we can pour out on everybody. And that helps people to be able to see. So the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches that the body has been robbed of its life by ignorance. The body has been robbed of its life by ignorance, by lawless thoughts, and that life will be restored by constant contact with our divine mind, which is healing love. That's where the the, the, the oil, the flow that flows through our entire body. And anybody knows, if you know anything, that love heals people, right? Yes. Love heals everything. You know, people always say love makes the world go around. You know, so, uh, but you can't love until you get in contact with your source. You know, I, I know this is true about plants. I don't always do it, but I have talked to my plants before. I'm not crazy. But I saw a picture on Facebook the other day, and it was so cool. They was doing an experiment with some plants, and they they planted two different plants, had the same soil and everything. One plant, they said bad things to it. They said, you're ugly, you're not pretty, all kinds of stuff, you're not going to grow well. The other plant had nothing but positive affirmations. The, the one that got the positive uh, vocal affirmations was beautiful. The other one was wilted and barely living. I mean, can you imagine if plants... What about us? What about a person that's been raised all their life and told they're no good and, and they walk around like this all the time and they're always depressed and they're always down, you know, and I, I have family that that happened to and I was always trying to lift them up, but they, they wouldn't let me, you know, because of what was spoken and what was done to them. So 
this parable understood helps one to live out of their eternal life placed in them from the foundation. We're not trying to get eternal life like they tried to say that this lawyer was asking for. He was asking, actually saying, how can I live out of my eternal life? How can I let it flow? You know, how can I contact it? And so uh, we could say at their inception in their mother's womb, if we wanted to. It was from the foundation of the world, but individually that eternal life came into us when that explosion of light hit. That's what I believe. The minute the sperm hits the egg, there's a light that explodes. And I believe that's what that is. It's the very holy breath of Father entering into that, that egg and producing a child. So it's vital for us to remain, remain conscious of how our thoughts rule our lives, how our thoughts affect our body. One of the biggest things that happens with people today, a lot of people, is they go to a doctor and a doctor tells them what they're going to do or the medicine they're going to give them. And then they go down this list of what could happen and what happens. And they begin to dwell on that, right? And I even have relative, a relative that, that happens and they claim it and they say, I have it. Or this is going to happen to me. So Father speaks to our thoughts, right? All the time. And if we listen, there's much more life than what we hear, see, and believe. There's much more life than that. And what we have to do is drown out the other thoughts because there's thoughts of this world system that come to us and there's thoughts of Father. So instead of saying, choose you this day who you will serve, I would say, choose you this day what voice you're going to listen to and what voice you're going to agree with. So also there are lower frequency thoughts that we can listen to and pay attention to that hinder and actually grossly hinder our body. And they grossly hinder our awareness of truth. So as in this trail to Jericho from Jerusalem, intending to rise higher in our spiritual awareness, awareness, we find ourselves slipping off the cliff sometimes because of, again, those error thoughts that we won't let go. We get too close to the edge of carnality, yeah. right? One thing that amazes me is how people say we're at liberty to do what we want. Yeah, but I like to say I'm at liberty not to do just what I want. You know, I have the freedom. I have the freedom, but I but but I'm at liberty to it because I don't want to do what my ego wants to do, and I pray that I don't have an ego. Of course, my wife would say I do, and my friend somewhat. But I but I I my life is controlled by contact with Father, and I know the more and more that I dwell on this, the more and more I feed on this. It's it's being changed. You know, I'm not saying I'm perfectly there that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. So we go to the ministry who offer religiously concocted help, and that brings no help to us, right? We're feeding on the lie, and then we go to the source of the lie for help. I mean, I know that's pretty strong, but we're feeding on the lie, and we go to the source of the lie for help. And we go to the people that are listening to the lie for help, and we get no help at all. The symptoms, see religiosity and a lot of the medical industry and the financial industry and the other ones, uh, the system of this earth, they only deal with the symptoms and it never helps and the symptoms never go away. Just like younger people, and I'm sure older people do it too, they borrow money and they can't pay it back and so they consolidate, right? And they can't pay it back. So they consolidate again, and it just goes on the rest of the life until they're bankrupt. Yeah. And the same thing is true spiritually, if you would. So my 38 years in relig religiosity ended up only being ritualistic acts that might have fed my outward senses, but it never brought me permanent help whatsoever. So our need is always to go where? Within, Right? A lot of people attribute this to so a Job, and they always say, Job says, my help cometh from within. But when you search it out, it's Psalm 122.1. It's a song of degrees. And I thought, that's interesting. And I looked it up, and it's, it's song, uh, songs of going up. And these are, these are psalms that they sang to go up to the temple. And that to us, that's to go up to a higher place. And so... In this psalm, it says, my aid was, and, and I paraphrase it and made it for what it was supposed to say, but it says, my aid was accomplished from Father when heaven and earth were formed. 
not my help cometh from within. You know, like I don't have it, but I've got to get it somewhere. Literally, my aid was accomplished from Father when heaven and earth were formed. So everything that I ever think that I need, I already have it. It was accomplished then. And then we know we have all things that pertain to physical life and spiritual life with us. Wherever we go, whether the scripture says whether you go without or within, you have it. So if you want to make contact with Father, go within. And then there's seven more verses in that psalm, and you should read them later on. But it shows us what happens when we climb up higher and higher and higher in our spiritual awareness. Uh, a little bit of it here. It says, First, verse one, we need to need to lift up our awareness. It talks about that because it talks about the hills and the mountains. And again, what do hills and mountains represent? Places of revelation, places of intimacy, places of understanding. And it says, from whence comes my protection? So where does my protection come from? Living up higher, you know? And... And then our protection is wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from our divine mind. So once there's a clear understanding of your oneness with Father, then you know that your divine life will flow within you, and it keeps you, it preserves you. You're going. Scripture says you're going out and you're coming in, in at this time, and even forevermore, eternally, world without end. Which, it's always there, huh? Which psalm? Is psalm one twenty one, verse one through eight. Now, some of the words there imply that it's going to happen or you can get it and you have to look at it as now, now. So yes, your neighbor physically implies all people, but until you understand symbolically, you are your neighbor and these truths then will begin to apply to you. You take care of yourself. You, you feed yourself, you meditate on, on, the, on the living word and you pay attention to your thoughts. And if you know the truth, then you'll know what truth, what thought is a lie, right? Amen. And so uh, you will be an enabler. And I was thinking about uh, State Farm Insurance. What is uh, State Farm? How's it, what's their song? Well, State Farm will always it's be on, there. Like a good neighbor, State Farm will always side. be there. It's on your side. Huh? State Farm is on your side. But it also says we'll be there too. I, I was listening to the video, but they're on your side. But but I think somebody got that principle from this uh, this parable, you know. So what happens? You become an enabler to people. You help people. Then you will be everything that a a compassionate Samaritan symbolizes, and that's what we want. So I'm almost done. So remember the question the lawyer of the Mosaic Law asks: Master, what shall I do? to be an heir to eternal life. That's what he said. And everybody needs to ask that because they don't think that they have eternal life. So what shall I do to be an heir? See, Donna became an heir to her mother's estate. And what did she have to do? Well, she just had to go to the lawyer, that, that new truth, and read the will. And then he saw, okay, this is, then we had to go to court because some things wasn't done right. And the judge say, yes, this is yours, and you have a right to take the money to sell the house and everything. So she had to listen to some instructions, right? And she had to have somebody to confirm that. So I'm confirming this to you today, that you, you are already an heir, not of something that Jesus died for you like we were taught. You're an heir of what Father said from the foundation of the world. You're an heir of that. Jesus didn't give us anything. Jesus revealed the truth to us. Yes, amen. Is that better? Yes. So, the, the, and the phrase the translators used to inherit came from the Hebrew 2818, and it's a, a K-L-E-R-O-N-O-M-O-S, and it means to be a possessor. So he, he said, what must I do to possess my eternal life, if you would? And then it comes from another word, K-L-E-R-O-S, to the idea of using parts of something. My implication, a portion of it. So he's saying again, you know, how, how, what do I have to do to use this? Because Jesus was doing what? He was always teaching eternal life. So this lawyer, maybe he was trying to trip him up some, and maybe he wanted to know the truth. If, if this is mine, what do I need to do? And see, I can tell you all my life, my, my pastors always told me what I needed to do, but they never told me how. 
You know, how, how do I quit this? How do I, how do I please God? And they always came up with the wrong information. So every person who has sought farther has done so seeking a portion, if you would, a portion of eternal life. What were those portions? Healing, deliverances, marriage, the right husband, the right wife, miracles, forgiveness, and the list goes on and on. But it would be, it would be better to learn what your eternal life contains. Your eternal life doesn't lack anything that has everything. So eternal life is an inter, interpenetration of one's holy breath and their entire being in your thoughts in your in your systems of your body and every part of you is that we allow this interpenetration to take place where it comes into us and it quickens every part of our being and it capital it is there but it must be allowed to flow yes. the current must be allowed to flow you know uh, i used to be electrician uh apprentice electrician and many times we'd be called out and people would say, my bedroom lights won't work. And they'd flip the switch and everything. And of course, we'd say there's no electricity. And so that's evident that something's not flowing to that switch, right? Yes. So as an electrician, we know to go to the breaker box. So we go to the breaker box and lo and behold, there's a little breaker that's tripped. Yes. And all they had to do is flip the switch, yes. you know? So if you know that you're experiencing anything other than eternal life, then there's something between you and your source. And I'm not talking about things we used to call sin, like you're eating too much ice cream or whatever. It's an awareness that needs to be corrected. And once that awareness is corrected, then eternal life flows through your whole being. You let go of the false ideas and you lay hold on the true ones, which are the vital ones. And Jesus said, the living word Water always represents words, say the living water, that I exist to give, exist in, in man as a wellspring unto eternal life. So it's not a trickle. It's not just a little bit. It's a wellspring inside of it. And that's why I love that song, Spring Up, O Well, Within My Soul. Spring Up, O Well. I mean, it's a pretty song, but it really needs to become a reality. I have to let it happen. Also, fire is generally, generally used in the Bible as a symbol of the living word also. It stands for cleansing and purification. I saw where a person said it's a symbol of hell where it cleanses you in purification, fire. No, it's not. Fire is a good thing. Run to the fire, right? So in its true essence, it is the fire of the holy breath or the divine energy. Energy is like fire, which never ceases uh, its life-giving properties. It's purifying glow, but when its cleansing work is completed, then guess what happens? There's no more air to consume. What do you think it's going to be like, Anne, when there's no more air up there? We'll be walking like Jesus walked. We'll be doing more than what Jesus did. We really will. Because, see, Jesus couldn't do the more because the people didn't believe. And they, so they didn't see. The Pharisees, any, anything he did that they thought was of God, they disdained him for it. He healed on the Sabbath. I mean, everything he did, they bashed him for it. Right? So we begin to experience the eternal life that we already possess. Right? So let's take this meaning of the parable of the, of the of Samaritan and we ourselves. And again, like a good neighbor, let's be there. But let's take care of ourselves first. How, how can State Farm be there for everybody that has a uh, catastrophe? How can they be there financially for them? It's because they've taken care of themselves. They've taken their money and they invested it wisely, right? And they have, it has multiplied and they've been wise in what they do. So when a catastrophe comes, they have the funds to take care of it. In the same manner for us. How can we be there for people? We, we're, we take care of ourselves. We, we feed on the living word. We uh, practice staying in contact with Father. We let the life source flow. And then when somebody in our world needs help, we're a compassionate yes. friend. Yes. And we're, here I am. What can I do for you? How can I help you? And then you can do it, right? Mm -hmm. So we need this individual awareness to flow through us all the time. But that's a great parable to me. It's awesome, and really it's something we should have understand a long time ago. 
that basically all we did is beat people up and didn't realize this is about an awareness. And I'm not beating pastors up either. I'm just talking about their awareness is off. Not all of them, but a lot of them is. And it's, it's leaving people half dead. Half baked. Neither one's good, is it? <laughs> so hope you enjoyed that. And I, I, as I said in the very beginning, I am very much aware that there are people that have more light than me and there are people that have less light than me. But let's all just climb up higher and higher and higher until we all live out of the same light. So we bless you. Thank you for being here. And Myla, it's good to see you with us. We love you very much and appreciate all of you. And we will see you hopefully the same time next week. Have a great day.